Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast with Tony Maradero. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire, back to Lafleur. The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. <laughs> You're in the ball. Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoint, on lui fait perdre la rondelle, une passe devant. Et c'est la bonne chose. Et c'est la bonne chose. Et c'est la bonne chose. John, you found the dogs. He found the dogs. And all together, they worked the young team to the top. And now, a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup. Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground. Your premier gaming destination. It's gonna be sick. Marinero on this Tuesday, September 19. It is one minute past 10 o'clock. How is everyone doing tonight? I am doing extremely well. And of course, the sick podcast is brought to you in part by Energy Transportation Group, a leading full service logistics provider serving all of North America. They are driven to be different. And also brought to you in part by the Geloso Beverage Group distributors of La Beta TV. Speaking of which, I just had a chance to talk to Aldo Geloso, who gave me a call about a minute ago. Hadn't talked to him in a while, and it's always nice to talk to Aldo. Brewed in Quebec, a winner of a dozen international awards. La Beta TV offers quality microbrewery beers made with premium ingredients for everyone's taste. La Beta TV, embrace your true nature. Also brought to you in part by Playground, over 600 machines, poker tournaments, and playground casino games, daily promotions, and unmatched customer service. Why go anywhere else located just over the Mercia Bridge, only minutes from downtown Montreal? It is Playground. I hope you're all doing well tonight. Some of you are watching, of course, on YouTube Live. Others are watching on Facebook Live, and others are watching on Twitter Live. Thanks for watching. If you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel yet, please tell your friends about it and subscribe now. Thank you very much. And if you're going to listen to us on Google, Apple, or Spotify, leave us a five-star review. It's our way of feeling the love. I know I very much appreciate it. Thank you very much. Without further ado, my guest tonight, he is the owner of Recruits, Recruits Hockey, Recruits.ca, and he's coming out with some outstanding articles more and more each and every day. And you can subscribe for only a couple of bucks per month starting at, I think it's a buck 50 to all the way to the 350 or whatever. Anyway, it's a song and a day. you get it for less than $50 a year. It's all open, all the publications, all the draft rankings, all the articles that come with it. He is a former scout under the Bob Ganey regime of the Montreal Canadiens. Grant McCagg, what's going on? Great to see you back, Tony. Missed you. It's uh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. It is good to be back, mind you. A part of my heart, of course, is uh, is still in uh, in Portugal with my son. But uh, at one point, we have to work. Uh, and uh, if at one point I I won't be working, it's because we did it. We sold this for uh, fifty million. And by the way, if you're thinking of making us an offer under fifty million, don't bother calling. We're not interested. All right. Okay. So without further ado, let's talk about the Montreal Canadiens. And uh, Marty St. Louis, by the way, is going to meet with uh, members of the media tomorrow. 
when uh, Pro Camp opens up tomorrow morning at 11 p.m., of course, at the complex in Brassard. And I think, uh, uh, did I say 10 p.m.? It's at 11, 10 p.m. At 11 a.m., 10 p.m. 10 p.m. is when the sick podcast starts. Tomorrow morning at 11 a.m., he's going to meet with members of the media. And I was thinking of passing by, but uh, maybe, maybe dropping by, maybe dropping in, maybe, maybe, just maybe. And I got a, a radio hit on BPM Sports, of course, with uh, George Larac and Stefan Gonzalez at around 12.35 or 12.40 p.m. But I, I might just be in Brassard tomorrow. All right. Um, there's, no, there's no chance that he'd be uh, he'd be having that at 10, 10 p.m. because he'll be tuning in to you, Tony, tomorrow night. Uh, yeah, well, that would, uh, that would be nice. I am, I'm, you know what? I'm not so sure that he does. I'd like to think so. Uh, yeah. but, uh, Hey, I wouldn't hold it against him if he doesn't, because you know what? He's breathing hockey and living hockey and eating sl- hockey and drinking hockey like 24 hours a day. Like at one point you got to take a little bit of a break, you know, like That's if true. he was watching my, if he told me he was watching my podcast, I'd say, Marty, thank you very much. I appreciate it. But if I was you, I would take a break. You know, you're going to be all hockeyed out. You know what I mean? That's, That's what I would true. say. Yeah. All right. Okay. Um, there was uh, there was a trade that went down. Uh, if we can actually uh, bring it up, do we have it? Let's see. Do we have the trade? Do we have the trade? Okay. We don't have the trade. Uh, no. But uh, earlier today, actually earlier today, it happened, I would say, uh, at around 5.20 p.m. Eastern Standard Time or so. Um, Casey DeSmith traded to the Vancouver Canucks for 31-year-old, six-foot left winger Tanner Pearson, who's got one year left on his deal at around $3.25 million per year. And a third round draft pick. And when we saw, we first saw the trade on social media, it was Darren Dreger who wrote Tanner Pearson has been traded to the Montreal Canadiens. And I know that Tanner Pearson has been on the block for a while. So I looked him up and I'm like, Tanner Pearson traded to the Montreal Canadiens. Why, why would they need Tanner Pearson? Then I said to myself, okay, so uh, he's got a year left. It's a contract they want to get rid of. And so they're probably going to exchange back contracts and either Yoel Armia or Casey DeSmith will go to the Vancouver Canucks. And in, in the end, it was Casey DeSmith, and I'm not really surprised by it. Uh, your thoughts on the trade? Yeah, the Casey DeSmith era lasted as long as the Mike Babcock era was the first thing that, first thing that came to mind there, Tony. Yeah. Um, yeah, I... Uh, I think it was, uh, you know, an exchange of contracts. Like Vancouver wanted to make uh, free up some cap space. They yeah. didn't think that uh, uh, there was a spot for Pearson in their lineup. And uh, Montreal obviously has two goalies that they think, you know, they they want to go with Montembeau and Allen, it's assumed. And also Primo's in the mix. So uh, they exchanged... Um, those two players and Montreal picked up another yet another draft pick. Uh, I think it's kind of interesting that for the uh, 2025 draft, Montreal has two picks in each of the first four rounds. Now, uh, do I think that they'll make all eight of those picks? Absolutely not. Just like this past year that I didn't think they'd make all 11 and sure enough, they, they turned around and used their two second round picks on uh, picking up new hook, but, 
what it also signaled to me, Tony, was that, uh, you know, since the offseason uh, started, they have uh, re-signed Monaghan and traded for Lindstrom, um, Pearson, and... Uh, Newhook. And Newhook. Yeah. Does that uh, tell you that this is a team that's... Uh, Planning on, on, planning on fighting for the first overall pick next year? No. And what it says to me is exactly what Marty St. Louis has been trying to portray as a message, that they will be patient, but they're going to be um, a patient aggressive, and that they're, they're really going to try and turn the corner. It doesn't yeah. mean that once they turn the corner, they're going to be sprinting all out, but They've been walking over the past couple of years, and now they want to take a jog to turn the corner. That's what it says to me. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, they have four or five defensemen that were rookies last year that presumably will all be better. Uh, obviously, they, they want to see another step from Slavkowski. Mm -hmm. uh, new hook, I, I think they believe that uh, with, with more offensive opportunity, and and with maturity that he might break through a la you know, the way that Doc did last year to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. And Doc, don't forget, early 20s as well. Like there's another step to be made, yeah. presumably in his production and even in Suzuki and Caulfield. So uh, a lot of the young core, if they take that next step this year, mm -hmm. they might be competitive a lot quicker than uh, than, than many people think. Now, do I think that they'll make the playoffs this year? Like that would be mm -hmm. a surprise, but yeah, um, it, it, you know they get off to a quick start. They get confident. The young players gain momentum. They might, uh, you know, they might be at least be uh, competitive this season. I think. And, and, and by the way, smaller skill teams they usually get out of the gates faster than others. So I I think that this team will get off to a good start. Uh, by the way, we are going to be going to Vancouver uh, any minute now as Matt Sakaris, who uh, who used to be formerly on sports radio in Vancouver and now co-hosts a podcast out of Vancouver, is going to join us for a couple of minutes, Grant, to talk to Excellent. us about Tanner Pearson and his thoughts and give us some insight on the player, uh, some insight on the player. And uh, you and I, of course, we've scheduled to talk about your article on Logan Mayu. And uh, and your article on uh, basically what you took out of the rookie camp that was played in Buffalo on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So that's all on the agenda tonight. For so for those of you watching, that's what you can expect tonight. Of course, on the Sick Podcast weeknights at 10 p.m. and we go live, of course, on all social media channels. Okay, so there's one thing we haven't mentioned, and that is it is quite apparent what Kent Hughes is doing. And it's something that actually Mark Bergevin tried to do down the stretch as well. It's called asset management, and it's trying to add assets, as many assets as possible, when you make a deal. And one thing that Bergevin was pretty good at, because he took a lot of heat for things that he wasn't good at, one thing that he was pretty good at down the stretch, and I'm trying to think of some examples in my head, I believe Nate Thompson was one of them and I believe Marco Scandella was another, when mm -hmm. he would go out and acquire a player and then in turn after a year or two or whatever it was, trade that player, 
he'd end up getting more assets for that player than he gave up for that player initially to go out and get them. And this is what Kent Hughes is doing. Kent Hughes doesn't mind exchanging contracts. What he does, he doesn't mind. He'll he'll basically make a deal. He'll trade a player at one position in return to get a player at another position to add depth at another position and also add an asset which is a prospect or more often than not, it's a draft pick. He pulled it off when he acquired Casey the Smith and a draft pick from Pittsburgh. He pulled it off when he traded, uh, what was it, Um, Joel Edmondson. He pulled it off when he traded uh, Tyler Toffoli. He pulled it off, I believe, when he traded Ben Sherrod. Correct me if I'm wrong because I'm going off the top of my head here. I could be wrong or one or two. Uh, He pulled it off when he traded Lekkanen to Colorado. Yeah. Um, so he's doing a good job with it. He's doing Absolutely. a really good job with it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in the past five or six years, the Canadians uh, uh, have uh, added up way more than they, they've given up, you know. And even uh, like getting rid of Hoffman and Pitlick, neither of those guys, like, you know, any um, any lineups that, that I was doing, and certainly we did some uh, – on your podcast that yeah. didn't have, e- I didn't have either of them, you know, being in the, in the top 12. Well, new hook and, uh, uh, Pearson are middle line, middle line or top nine guys. Uh, Lindstrom's going to be at one of the top six defensemen. So they're, um, they're not only like, I I'm interested in seeing, I'd love to be a fly on the wall in their meetings and see just how, whether they think that they can compete for a playoff spot this year or not. Cause of course they're not, they're smart about it and they're not saying it like, uh, you know, uh, like Pierre Dorian, the last couple of like last year saying the rebuilds over and, you know, going out on the limb and, and then looking bad when the senators didn't make the playoffs they're not, you know, they're not following that tact, which is a smart one. You don't put mm-hmm. pressure on the team, right? But it wouldn't surprise me if they, uh, you know, in their internal meetings are at least just like the Rangers when they decided, okay, we're the rebuild is over. Yeah, uh, let's uh, let's try to compete, and um, I think that they cautiously optimistic going into the year. I think. All right, without further ado, uh, and I talked about it, that it was going to happen, let's go to Vancouver where we welcome Matt Sakaris, who talks Vancouver Canucks hockey on his podcast all the time. Matt, what's going on? How you doing, Tony? Good to join you tonight. Thank you for joining me. I very much yeah. appreciate it. Uh, the second that I heard the deal was done, I gave Matt a call. He didn't answer the phone. He called me back a couple of minutes later. He goes, I apologize for missing your call. Mm-hmm. I go, Matt, I was just about to go on television. I wanted to get the scoop on Tanner Pearson. He goes, Tony, I'll talk to you about Tanner Pearson. I had just got off TV at that time. I said, hold on a second. Don't talk to me about him. This is what we do. Come on my podcast tonight and talk to us about Tanner Pearson. So, Matt, say hi to Grant McCagg of Recruits and Recruits.ca, <laughs> former Montreal Canadian scout in the Bob Ganey regime. Grant, exchange pleasantries with Matt Sakaris, and then we could talk about Tanner Pearson. 
Hey, Matt, I've been following you forever, it seems like, on Twitter. It's night. great to see you in person, finally. Yeah, uh, ditto here, Grant. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think you, you've been on our show before. Yeah, uh, that, that's NHL great. Drafts, so appreciate the work you do uh, on the scouting side of things. Tell, Tony, tell me how much I thought that uh, Ollie... You levy was a good pick. Yeah, I remember that now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty guilty on that one too, Grant. So, <laughs> yeah. don't, don't, um, and don't Tony, worry. as you know, yeah. I'm always available to you, uh, Montreal yeah. boy born. So, uh, always great yeah. to be back on and join you, my friend. No, I know that. Grant, you know what? Uh, don't worry <laughs> about it because uh, at one point, at one point, um, you'll levy, uh, will probably play. Um, you know, uh, his 50th NHL game in his career. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Well, I, you know, I, 200, huh? I, I wasn't the only one that got that wrong, obviously. Well, listen, but you know what? I, I, I grant if I can, I remember that trade like it was yesterday because correct me if I'm wrong. Ulevi was the first defenseman that went in that draft. He went fifth overall. That was the Austin Matthews draft year, correct? The Canadians had the ninth pick overall. They drafted Mikhail Sergachev. And speaking of defensemen, the Boston Bruins probably made out just as good or better than anyone because they drafted Charlie McAvoy 14th. Yeah. Yeah. The the guys and that pick and that player continues to haunt Vancouver and Canucks fans because not only, as you outlined, Tony, did they miss on superior defensemen who went after you, Levy? Yeah. I believe Matthew Kachuk was the next pick. <laughs> Matthew Kachuk went on to torment the Vancouver Canucks as a member of the Calgary Flames for years and brought that yeah. sort of profile that the Canucks really haven't had since Todd Bertuzzi. So, yes, that that pick, if not for that pick, and Jake Vertanen, six overall uh, in 2014, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, we might be talking about a different decade, for the Vancouver Canucks, we might be talking about a team that's in a, a different predicament uh, than they are here today after this Tanner Pearson, Casey DeSmith trade. Yeah, they would have been better off even with Jacob Trickren that went 16th overall to the right. uh, Arizona Coyotes. Yep. Yeah, that was, a pretty, you know, the, that was a pretty good draft. The optimistic way of looking at that is, you know, if uh, if they did ended up taking Kachuk, uh, you know, maybe they don't end up getting Quinn Hughes and you know, I mean, it's the all expectations as well, Grant. You know, if you do yeah. take a player, you better or you fall further down that draft. Maybe you don't get Patterson. Maybe you don't get that's right. Yeah, Quinn Hughes. So yeah, no, we've been through all of that. But um, you know, the interesting news today uh, on Tanner Pearson and yeah. tell us if we just transition. I mean, this trade came <laughs> with the Vancouver Canucks back against the wall salary cap wise because oh, really yeah yeah well okay. you know tony they they were about a million six a million seven over the cap they were mm-hmm. looking at a scenario whereby they either needed to make a trade to move some money out or they were looking at submitting an opening night roster that was shy of the maximum 23 players so for a second straight preseason the vancouver canucks here have had to pay a draft pick sweetener to address their cap compliance and to address their depth at a certain position. Last year, they moved a second round pick along with Jason Dickinson, who didn't work out here and actually had a pretty nice year in Chicago um, to get some cap uh, room. And they acquired Riley Stillman in that deal who really didn't work out. Yeah. And shipped off the Buffalo for a C-level prospect. So, you know, there's two different ways that Canucks fans are looking at this deal tonight. 
Number yeah. one is we're cap compliant and we mm-hmm. got a legitimate backup goaltender. And this was a question here in Vancouver because Arthur Siloff's a good young goalie. He was the MVP of the World Championships, but he was in it. But he's in a position where he needs to play and not be that pure backup. Of course, he's only going to play 20, 25 games behind Thatcher Demko, who I do anticipate will be one of the most used goalies in the NHL this year if he stays healthy. So they were looking for another NHL goalie because Siloffs and Spencer Martin, who was really terrible for them last year, they weren't necessarily sure they would be able to get the job done, spell Demko enough, and in fact win some of those games that Thatcher Demko doesn't play. And it gets them cap compliant for the cost of a third round pick. So there's two different ways of looking at this deal in Vancouver. The bottom line is this has been a very mediocre team that's been up against the cap for years and years and years and continues to peel future assets just for the here and now to try and get as competitive as possible. So the Canucks adapt at the goalie position. They get to have one of their goalie prospects still play in the American Hockey League so he can actually have a bulk of games instead of not having a lot of games. Right. They become cap compliant. In mm-hmm. turn, the Montreal Canadiens who already had depth at the goaltending position, now have one less problem to worry about because they go down to three goalies. Mm -hmm. They'll add depth at the forward position where they'll have a guy who will battle it out for a fourth-line spot, you would think. Mm -hmm. And they get that draft sweetener that you talked about. So basically, when general managers talk about, hey, we don't want to steal anything from anyone. We want a deal to be good for both parties. This was one of those deals. Yeah, and and Tony... This could be the second time that Tanner Pearson benefits from the quote-unquote change of scenery trade because when he was acquired by the Vancouver Canucks in 2019, he was in the midst of an absolutely awful year in Pittsburgh. It was his first campaign there after they acquired him from the Los Angeles Kings. Ironically, it was Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin in Pittsburgh then who are now with the Vancouver Canucks. So when Rutherford and Alvin took over a year and a half ago, we were sort of going, okay, how long does Tanner Pearson have here? Because they've already traded him once. Well, after that trade in Vancouver, he scored nine goals in 19 games. He had a strong close to the season. And then he came back the next year and really had his best year here. He was 21 goals. He was 45 points. And he was that middle six winger who has some size and defensive responsibility. That really was a helpful piece for them. Since then, he hasn't reached those heights. And of course, last year was an utter write-off for the player with a very tricky hand injury that, well, put it this way, if the Vancouver Canucks and their medical staff didn't mishandle it, there was at least an opinion from Tanner Pearson and some of his teammates that the injury was mishandled. Ironically, Tony, it happened in Montreal in the game against the (laughs) Canadiens in November, and he did not play since. Um, there was some question whether his career was going to be over. He had multiple surgeries on this hand. I lost count somewhere around four or five. And so the Vancouver Canucks, I think in a, a strange way at one point, were counting on Tanner Pearson still being hurt and being eligible for LTIR. Well, in the last few weeks, he's returned here to Vancouver. He's been skating and you know working with his teammates. The hand looked fine. He's even been golfing here. So it was clear that he was going to be healthy and not an LTIR candidate. And at that point, the Canucks were looking at a scenario where they may may have had had to demote him to the AHL just to save the million one on the contract and get cap compliant 
which I think would have further soured a relationship that I think was sour to begin with. Grant, uh, I have a bunch of questions, but should you have any questions for Matt? Go for it. Okay. I was looking at um, looking at his stats and noticed um, he averaged about 50 seconds a game on the PK yeah. uh, when he was in Vancouver. Montreal was bottom four in penalty killing last year. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you describe him as a penalty killer? Do you think he could help the Canadians in that regard? Well, Grant, we see your bottom four in PK here in Vancouver, and we raise you three positions <laughs> from the NHL rank. Yeah. The Vancouver Canucks were single-handedly the worst penalty-killing team in the NHL last year, and for a while there, they were historically bad, chasing the all-time worst record for penalty killing. And in fact, if I'm not mistaken, I think their penalty killing was last in the league two years ago as well. Oh. So the penalty kill has been a massive issue for the Canucks over two seasons. And I would like to be able to tell you more about Tanner Pearson, the penalty killer, but having played just the 14 games last year and being part of what was a historically bad penalty kill and the year before, I wouldn't necessarily think that Tanner Pearson is going to slide into the first two forward units on that penalty kill. I I would think, well, first of all, he's got to prove he can play NHL hockey again. This is a a completely different hand that he's got there that's gone through many procedures. If he can prove he's an NHL player, that's the first step. If he can prove he's a penalty killer, I I guess I'd be a little surprised by that given recent results. Uh, I would think he would be well down the pecking list in terms of penalty kill options for the Habs. Which hand is it again? Which hand is it again? Uh, good question, Tony. I want to okay. say it's the left hand, but... All right. Mm-hmm. And you'll understand why I'm going to ask it right now. Okay. And that is, is that, um, you know, the number one guy on the Montreal Canadiens, uh, should, you know, someone have to step up and defend one of their teammates uh, or, or answer the bell, is Arbor Jack guy. He is supported... And uh, by um, by Michael Pizzetta, uh, who, if he has to defend his teammates, will definitely do so. And, you know, Pizzetta is a fourth line player in the Montreal Canadiens. And if Tanner Pearson proves that he can stick with the Canadians, chances are he'll end up being on a fourth line. Yeah. Chances are that when he's in the lineup, Pizzetta probably won't be. And if Pizzetta's in the lineup, Tanner Pearson probably won't be. So the reason why I was asking my question is yeah. if Pizzetta's not in the lineup, and Arbor Jacki needs support. Is Tanner Pearson one to go in and defend his teammates? But now, hearing about the four or five surgeries on the hand, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know if he's that type of player to begin with. Confirmed. Yeah, I, I, I just looked it up. It is the left hand. Um, I can't remember him in a whole lot of fights. Mm-hmm. He's not necessarily. He's not a guy who's going to back down, and he is a can be a bigger, rougher player at times. Yeah, um, but I certainly wouldn't either put him on a short list uh, of dropping the gloves and fighting. I would st- <laughs> look. I would think that that left hand is never going to throw a punch at anybody's yeah. face ever again uh, if he's wise. You know, I, I know. I know. He, I know he's a fourth line guy who brings energy and finishes his checks. That I know. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and you know, at his best, he was a pretty uh, helpful defensive player. He's also, you know, he's got a pretty good scoring touch or at least he did at one point again we'll see how the hand reacts to that he's by no means a burner um but he's good in smaller spaces and he'll go to the front of the net 
So, you know, I, I think if he can recapture all the form that we saw a few years ago, then the Canadians could have a very serviceable, serviceable player here. The problem is it has been so long and now a really difficult injury that, um, you know, you got to start wondering at age 31 how much the guy has left and whether we're going to see that player ever again. He, he was a top nine player for, for the most part in Vancouver, was he not? Yeah, yeah. Like 16 and, minutes. He averaged over 16 minutes a game, so yes. that's not that's not far line. Yeah, that's, no, uh, no. Uh, and, you know, uh, put it this way. I, I, I think at this stage of his career, if the hand is in fact recovered and he's able to get back to the level where he's at, he's a bottom six winger. If you're a really yeah. good team, maybe he's a fourth liner. If you're a mediocre team, maybe he's the third liner. So yeah. um, will he get back to being that middle six guy? Probably not at this stage of his career, but it'd be a hell of a story if he did. And like I said, he's already had one significant bounce back after going through a disastrous situation in Pittsburgh and getting a fresh start in Vancouver. So maybe a fresh start will do him well. Uh, although the word is out here that uh, he wasn't particular. Well, put it this way. I think he recognizes he's going to get a chance to continue his NHL career from the opening of the season this year in Montreal, which may not have been available to him in Vancouver. But I think there's probably another part of him that feels like on the eve of training camp here, you know, the Canucks trade me ending what was, let's face it, a pretty sour situation. I mean, there, there, there were words exchanged or assessments exchanged about Tanner Pearson's hand back in the summer where Patrick Alvin, the Canucks general manager, you know, doubted Tanner Pearson's readiness or wasn't sure about Tanner Pearson's readiness for training camp where the Pearson camp was saying, oh, no, we'll be ready. It didn't get to an NHL grievance last year, though the NHLPA did look into the treatment he received on this broken hand. And as I mentioned to you guys off the top, there was absolutely a sentiment in the Canucks dressing room that the Canucks were to blame here. Quinn Hughes, then his teammate, now the Vancouver Canucks captain, went as far as saying that it wasn't handled properly by the club. And Jim Rutherford, the president of hockey operations out here, called a shotgun press conference with a couple of doctors who sit us, who sat on stage and sort of went, hamana, 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 it's privacy. We can't tell you exactly what happened in trying to reassure the public and everybody else that it was indeed handled properly. And it was kind of a press conference that backfired on the club. So there's a lot of water under the bridge between the Vancouver Canucks and Tanner Pearson after last year. You're old enough to remember the honeymooners, obviously, with that humana humana there. That that brings back memories. Well, uh, it's because I think Rutherford was hoping that these doctors would, you know, clear up the matter. Yeah. And up there and said, well, it's doctor-patient confidentiality. We can't really get into details. And the rest, you know, I think the press sort of looked around the room and went. <laughs> we having this press conference then if these doctors can't in, can't get into better detail with regards does, does to what that, went wrong with Pearson's hand does that bring a uh does that sound familiar Tony this Brendan all this, Gallagher? Uh, yeah well Brendan Gallagher and the misdiagnosis uh, from doctors like that it's like a double shot of yeah I mean uh, Canadian fans know exactly what you're talking about Matt <laughs> yeah no 100 here guys it was uh Look, the Canucks were an absolute gong show from tip to tail last year. And one of the things that didn't necessarily get as much national profile 
um, in all the hysteria about the way they mishandled Bruce Boudreau and the clumsy firing there and the clumsy hiring of Rick Tockett and all of that. That was so uncomfortable, by the way. Wasn't it? it? Yeah. I mean, the whole world knew that he was getting fired. It was just, it was. To the point of standing on the bench crying, Tony, like a baby after his final game at Rogers Arena as the crowd still came from Bruce. It was very badly handled. Very, very badly handled. The three of us have a lot of years uh, around this game. I've never seen anything like it. and I hope to never see anything like that again. But one of the things that sort of got lost was the Vancouver Canucks overhaul their training and strength and conditioning staff. Grant, you know how important those guys are to players, right? So do the Canadians, by the way, right? Yeah, they they, they become their confidants. They become their friends. They entrust them with their health, their money makers. And, um, you know, even into the medical staff. And this was part of the transition to the new management group that came over from Pittsburgh. And let's just say the players did not particularly react well to it. And the players didn't particularly appreciate some of the changes that were made on that front last year. So yeah, this was sort of the tip of the iceberg of that. There was a lot of sort of underneath bubbling up for players with regards to availability, medical staff on the road and who are these new guys and and all of that. Some of those insecurities were already coursing through the club. And then lo and behold, Tanner Pearson breaks his hand in November uh, and is announced as having had three surgeries and his season is over. Um, whenever they announced that at some point in January, I want to say a couple yeah. months later. So that became a really big touchstone for Vancouver Canucks players because some of them absolutely believe that if not for some incompetence on behalf of the Vancouver Canucks and the way this was handled, Tanner Pearson could have gotten back into the lineup last year or at the very least would have had a chance to you know, continue his career, which was in doubt at one point. Last yeah. Time. And so. once again, the Montreal Canadiens as well, uh, relieved their strength and conditioning coach in the off season. Uh, they also relieved their head athletic therapist. Uh, they went in and, and made some hires to replace both of them. Uh, overseeing the department now is going to be the strength and conditioning coach, uh, who oversaw the New York Rangers for the longest time, uh, who comes with a great, great reputation. And so that's uh, and and by the way, that that whole um, relieving uh, those two gentlemen of their duties was uh, first reported by a, a gentleman who's extremely hardworking, good looking, brown, curly hair, <laughs> bluish green eyes, usually wears uh, blue uh, hoodies. Uh, he broke that story. Uh, he also he also broke the story of the uh, Cole Caulfield uh, contract extension. Uh, uh, from a soccer standpoint, he broke the story of uh, Kai Kamara getting traded to Chicago. Uh, and uh, he also broke the story of uh, Mako Miljevic's contract being uh, uh, terminated. And it just goes to show you that you don't have to work for a big network to break stories. You just you could do it even out of your basement in LaSalle. I didn't I didn't break those stories, Tony. What you no, have? you didn't. But uh, I know somebody who did. All right. Oh, okay. Okay. Hey, this was a lot of fun. And you've been on the, the podcast before mm. and you have an open invitation anytime. And I'm glad people were able to see you again. He's got a connection to Montreal. He's a former Montrealer. His name is Matt Sakaris. You see him wearing the cap there, SNP for Sakaris and Price, because uh, Matt Sakaris and Blake Price were two of the biggest names on sports radio out of Vancouver, 1040 on your AM dial. 
And that station, I would say, well, what is it, give or take about four years ago now? Well, it's coming up on three years, Tony. Three and, years. Uh, wow. Very kind of you pr to promote Sakarison Price, the podcast. I do remember us exchanging notes as you were getting the sick podcast going. We were sharing yeah. our learnings. You were sharing your yeah. learnings uh, back at us. So thank a you. A quick for story, that. if I can. A quick story, if I can. Mm -hmm. uh, it, we're working for the same company, Matt Sakaris and I, of course. And he's working in Vancouver, and I'm working in Montreal at the time, three years ago. And I'm on the air, and I'm hosting my show. And this is during COVID, of course. And uh, I was no longer hosting it from the studio at one point, at this point here. And my wife owns a dance studio. I was hosting it from home at one point, and there were a lot of distractions. My wife owns a dance studio. And because the dance studio was closed because of COVID, she suggested, why don't you go do your radio show at the dance studio? It's empty and you'll be alone there. You'll have peace and quiet. I said, that's a great idea. So I go to the dance studio and I'm hosting my show and I come in on one particular day. And uh, while I'm, I'm hosting the show, I have an eye on social media, I have an eye on Twitter. And I noticed that in a span of probably give or take an hour and a half, uh, there were seven sports radio stations that belonged to the company that we worked for across Canada and Vancouver, Winnipeg and Hamilton, three of the seven closed down in the span of an hour and a half. And it's spreading like wildfire all over the place on Twitter. And there I am thinking, this is it. Montreal is next. The axe is going to drop. And I'm going to lose my job mm -hmm. and I don't have a plan B. And I don't know if Matt Sakaris and Blake Price did have a plan B or not at that time, but it didn't take them very long to say, you know what, this is what we do best. Why don't we have a podcast? Uh, you went looking for some sponsorship. You got it and you got the support and away you went and you guys have been amazing ever since. Yeah. That uh, two months later we were up uh, and doing our podcast Tony and uh, happy to report we're into our third season here. So, and uh, you know, I've noticed with guys like yourself, but it's also going on in Winnipeg, Calgary, uh, Edmonton, uh, Ottawa, um, across the country, we're seeing this sweep of independent grassroots media, you know, like the, the big Toronto telecoms, they don't want to cover our markets. <laughs> and if they're not going to cover our markets, damn it, we will. You know, right we'll summon up the people, we'll summon up the sponsorship, we'll summon up the distribution to make it happen. So, And it's uh, since happened in Edmonton, right? Give or take, right. what, in the last six months? Well, they lost their station, but now there's a new one that has since come back in Edmonton. Oh. Um, but again, it's it, it, this is grassroots efforts, independent media people, you know, no huge corporate ownership or anything like that that's putting it together. So... Um, you know, that's, it's almost like the old days, Tony, when the guy who owned the newspaper lived in town and the guy who owned the radio stations hey. lived in town yeah. and you have this community feel about the media that was covering your community. So Matt, in that I, regard, it's been very, very rewarding. I don't remember if I'd asked you this before or not, but I'll ask you now. Um, were you on the air when you no. guys went off the air? You weren't. No, no. at the time we were the PM drive show. Okay. Uh, we went off the air um, at 9 a.m., right? Morning drive. Yep, 9 a.m. I remember getting a text from one of the two hosts that was in the studio going, the damnedest thing just happened. You know, our mics don't seem to work, and our producer can't seem to get us. The term in radio is potted up, Tony, as you know, uh, get yeah. back on the air. 
And, um, you know, he sort of asked, what do you think this means? And, you know, I texted back, I think this means they're closing us down. So, wow. And if, if, if memory serves me well, I think a spot went over the air at that point. Right. Letting listeners know that that was the end of the station and that it was going to open up in a couple of days under a different uh, category, a different theme or whatever, right? I believe it was a 20-second or so sounder saying that uh, Sports Talk Radio is no more and that, you know, coming up there would be a new format. And I want to say it was two days later where they uh, rebranded the station Funny AM 1040 where they just played stand-up comedy recorded can stand-up comedy 24 7 and and frankly uh, actually tony in the last round of bell media cuts uh funny 1040 was taken off the air entirely so that is not even a frequency anymore wow. and that same stations that was closed down yeah that same splitter that same recording that went on the air to let everyone know that you guys were off the air and and the station was going to be changing formats yeah, was the same exact voiceover that yeah. happened in Edmonton yeah. uh, in the last six months when they closed down. The exact yeah. same thing. Exact I, same I, message. I was uh, just if yeah. I could interject for a sec there. Please I uh, I was um, I was doing an interview with Steve Lloyd on uh, TSN twelve hundred when uh, and then I get on I get on Twitter and I mentioned the you know, the interview and somebody tweets, well, did, you know, did you, uh, are you to blame for what happened? And I go, what are you talking about? They switched <laughs> right after the, the top of the hour, they had uh, news on and, uh, gone was the, gone yeah. was the show. And well, they, were, they switched to Dan Patrick. And yeah. I go, what the heck? And they, they let go a bunch of guys and, uh, and they haven't like Steve Lloyd's show that was on 10, the same slot you used to be in, Tony. Uh, yeah. Like I used to, like my two favorite were you and 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 Steve Lloyd, and I you know try to listen to both of you. All of a sudden, it's gone, and they you know they have ESPN or whatever on during that time, talking about NBA basketball and everything that Ottawa sports fans really really want to want to hear. You know, it's just yeah. it's it's so sad. Yeah, in fact, uh, after the sounder at 1040 in Vancouver, the song that played was Green Day's Good Riddance. <laughs> really um, uh, upset a lot of people. It yeah. didn't me as much because I understood the, the lyrics. It's something unpredictable, but in the end is right. I hope you had the time of your life. I think they were sort of thinking more about the lyrics in the song after a 20-year run for this all-sports station in Vancouver than they were the name. Um, but nevertheless, hey, we've heard some good riddance and we've re-empowered it. I named my company that, so we're doing wow. just just fine out here. Matt, uh, happy to hear it. Uh Sakaris and Price once again, a podcast out of Vancouver that goes daily. Thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon, bud. Thanks, Tony. Anytime. Grant, nice to chat with you. All the best, guys. I don't All know right, when the you. uh Ulevi moratorium's over, but uh yeah. you know, feel Let's free to know. have me on sometime to talk draft again. Hey, he's on a <laughs> in Arizona and the way that some ex-Canucks work out, maybe he's just a late bloomer and it's going to figure it out. Hey, look at look at the bright side. Even though the Canadians drafted Sergeyev four picks after Yalevi, um, they ended up trading him for Jonathan Drouin, who yeah. came here, signed the six-year deal for $33 million, uh, didn't play anywhere near his potential or not even half of it, 
ended up leaving in the offseason for absolutely nothing. And uh, Sergei Nechev has gone on to win Stanley Cups in Tampa. So there's our story. All yeah. right. Okay. We'll talk Thanks, to you soon. Thanks, Grant. You're welcome. All right. Okay. See you, man. Uh, Grant, let's get back to uh, Logan Mayu. You had an article with him. When did you talk to Mayu? <laughs> it's, uh, it was a couple months ago now. Oh, really? Uh, just, just before the development camp, um, I, I, uh, I tweeted out something on Twitter after and saying that this article was coming up and the Canadians got in touch with me and asked – you know, uh, they kind of wanted to keep things low key about Mayu because there's still, you know, there's still an uproar about him every time he was mentioned on Twitter. Uh, they wanted me to wait till after the development camp. And I said, sure. And then after the development camp, they asked, they said, well, we'd like you to wait until uh, he gets cleared to play. Little did I know that it would be take another two months for that, but I said, okay, I'll wait. So I, I delayed it for uh, almost two or more than two months before I put it out. But mm-hmm. uh, I mean, <laughs> he's had so few interviews that uh, it's not like it was uh, you know, information that was retread from, from other articles or anything like that. There, I learned a lot about, about Logan it, when I talked to him and, um, uh, it, it's a pretty good article in that regard that I think uh, people that read it got got to know a little bit about Logan that they didn't know before, like stuff like he weighed 250 pounds when he was 15 years of age, playing uh, first starting playing. Um, he weighed 250 AAA. pounds at 15? Yeah. All Two, of a sudden, uh, I, don't, I don't feel that bad. No, no. Uh, at 15 there, uh, <laughs> I was a big boy too, but I wasn't uh, close to that size Wow! At, at 15. I think I was about 190. But uh, yeah, he um, he had a sweet tooth, he was telling me, and um, he, he realized like he was playing AAA. He moved, he went into the Toronto GTHL and he's playing AAA mm-hmm. and uh, 250. And he, he soon realized that if, hey, if I want to get drafted, in the OHA, OHL, yeah, and uh, make a career of this. I better get in shape. And he, uh, he he got a nutritionist and and learned not to not to eat so many sweets and uh, got down to about 200, 210 for the uh, yeah. for the OHL draft. Uh, but uh, I, I was impressed by he's a really polite kid. He really Cut is. The sugar, that's the way to do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Did you? Uh, what was your fare over in uh, Portugal? What was your what was your go to uh, diet over there, Tony? Yeah, well, uh, Portugal they're um, they're very heavy on the uh, the rice, uh, potatoes, uh, chicken, uh, sardines, cod. That's 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 a little bit of their thing. Okay. But uh, you know, I'm I got a sweet tooth, and uh, I never say <laughs> no to dessert. Uh, so you you were saying regarding Mayu. He just, uh, I mean, I met him, I met him at the draft and, yeah. and was impressed by him. Like he's, he, he comes across as a polite, sincere kid. Uh, no airs about him. Um, looks you straight in the eye. Uh, just like, remember when we met Vinny at the uh, development camp, Vinny LeCalier? Yeah. And he just stared, you know, just, just how impressive a character Vinny has that yeah. he seems to care actually care about you not looking yeah. away or 
you know, I got to get going. It was the same way with Logan it, yeah. with my first impression with him. And then talking to him for, you know, 50 minutes or whatever it was, it, it, it only bolstered that, that first impression that I got that, uh, um, despite what happened and and all that and no one will ever you know uh i mean it, it was a he did a terrible thing uh deep down i think he he's learned from it and that he's uh all in all is a is a pretty good kid and i think that uh i have a feeling that the canadians aren't going to have to worry about him uh messing up I think he'll he'll be uh, he'll be a solid citizen and, and a good teammate for the Canadians down the road. So I said to Eric Engels last night, "Love my you, but he's not ready. There's no way that he's going to start the season in Montreal." And I know that some of our colleagues have him penciled in to start the season in Montreal. And I said, "I don't see it. It's not going to happen." And Eric said, "Okay, I wouldn't bet on it either, but he will play games with the big club this year." And I can see that. Now, do you agree with what I said, that there's no chance? And and by the way, I probably shouldn't use no chance because no one gave Arbor Jacki a chance either, and he started here. But I'm still going to say it anyway. It's more dramatic when you say it that way, I think. There's no chance Mayu starts the season in Montreal. Agree <laughs> or disagree? Well, before they got Lindstrom, I thought there was a chance. And he, he had a really good development camp. So at that time, I... I said, well, I'm just looking at the depth chart. He can beat out Chris Weidman. Yeah, we like them at development camp. We like them, yeah. Right. But they picked up Lindstrom, and he's the right defenseman, and he, he'll he be playing. And that that's the right move. Uh, he's, he's only played 96 junior hockey games. Yeah. Never played U18, never played U17, never played U20. Like we saw it in that, that rookie game against uh, Buffalo. Yeah. Where – he looked like a deer caught in the headlights there. Game one, like, game one out of the three games. Uh, first yeah. one was Buffalo. Second one was Boston. And third one was Ottawa. Right. Well, Buffalo had by far the best forward lineup. Like they had three top 15 picks. Logan Mayu never played in a U18 or U20 event, never faced a, a team with three top 15 picks. And that's not even counting Kulich. Coolidge who arguably should have been a top 15 pick too. So they yeah. were stacked. Out of the three teams that they faced, that was the team. What I liked about how the Canadians handled it was they brought him right back the next afternoon and played him again and played him in all three games. And he only got better and more comfortable as as it went along. So That's modern, that's modern day management because management of – Years ago, you play a bad game. You don't deserve to play the next one. You're not playing. They basically said, it's all right. You shake it off. Let's see what you got. Bounce back. Yeah, absolutely. They didn't get, give him time to mull over and, and get concerned about it. They, he slept. You know, he got a good sleep in that night and had little time to, to worry about mistakes he made. And he was right back in the lineup. And then paired with... Uh, I mean, he was paired with Ortiz in that first game. Like yeah, they threw him. They threw him <laughs> to the wolves. That first, you know, here's the top fifteen guys. Here's Ortiz, who's may make Trois Rivieres at best uh, as your partner. Go at her playing against the top top six of Buffalo. Uh, pretty stacked rookie lineup, 
And um, the next game, he's with Struble. He's uh, playing against Boston rookies, which nowhere near is uh, accomplished and as good as Buffalo's. He got a lot more comfortable. And then the third game, same deal, better partner. And uh, Ottawa, which didn't even have Ridley Gregg, and Ostapchuk was out. So they were, they had a pop gun offense there, really, too. And uh, Mayu just got more and more comfortable as, as the tournament went along. So I wouldn't be surprised if he starts out, maybe struggles a little bit in his first exhibition game and just a, yes. a similar similar thing where he just keeps getting better as the camp goes along. But I don't see him starting the se- season with the Canadians unless he just uh, he lights it up, you know, scores, a, scores a few power play goals or whatever, because there certainly is a... Uh, a need for a power play guy. And if, uh, if Mayu scores a bunch of points on the power play and looks comfortable, yeah, maybe, maybe there's a outside chance. They, they give him a look at the start of the year, yeah. but uh, the numbers say like the contracts, right? They're not going to send Lindstrom down. They're not going to send uh uh, any of the three right defensemen that that are penciled in there, Kovacevic, he he wouldn't he he wouldn't get past waivers. Uh, same with uh, Lidstrom. Same with uh, Savard. Savard, right? So that's Barron's the, Barron's the guy you haven't mentioned, by the way. Right, but he can go. He's not eligible. You're like right. He's, he, can, he can go down to the American Hockey League, and I think why, he might too. Why don't we do this, Grant? Before I bring up the graphic of Pro Camp opening up tomorrow, and once again, Marty St. Louis is going to meet with members of the media tomorrow morning at 11 a.m., so that will be Wednesday morning, 11 a.m. Why don't I just throw out a few names out there of players that were at that rookie camp in Buffalo, and very quickly, you tell me what you thought. So, Mayu. Just uh, got better and better as a ter- as a as a tournament went along, and uh, looked pretty comfortable by by the end. Rhinebacker. same deal. He uh, he just got more and more comfortable. Uh, he uh, just from a physical standpoint, we, we saw the difference. I think Tony just between development camp and this camp, you could tell that he he wasn't gassed at the end of shifts like he was. Uh, I don't think he'd been on skates for weeks because of the, the all the draft stuff. Uh, you can tell that he's been on skates and he's been playing in Cloton and uh, exhibition games because he looked a lot. Just from a physical standpoint, he looked a lot lot better. Uh, he looked. I I think uh, it, it, just watching him, I can't recall a Canadian's defenseman, an eighteen year old. I've been going to these prospect uh, for twenty years. Like I used to go to them when they were in Hull. I don't know if you remember yeah. that, Tony. Yeah, I do. Uh, I can't. There's been no 18 year old uh, Habs rookie defenseman that that impressed me. That none of them impressed me as much as Reinbacher. I think he's. Uh, it, it just it. You had to remind yourself. Holy geez, this kid is only 18 years of age, and he looks that good. He's that comfortable. He's that confident. Um, He's 209 pounds now, and he did not look like he slowed down. In fact, he's skating better than he did at the development camp. So I think the Canadians got themselves a, a real keeper there. 
he put on 15 pounds in two months. Yeah. I'm glad to hear Stop, it doesn't Stop really happen Oski to me. He put on 25 last year in two months, yeah. I think it was, right? Yeah. yeah. Story, of my, story of my life. All right. Okay. <laughs> so we talked about Mayu. We talked about Ryan Backer. Yeah. William Trudeau. Oh, steady, steady. And, and another guy, like, it's funny when you, when I was talking about, couldn't believe that, uh, he, that Reinbacher's 18. He's only, he's still only 20 years old. Trudeau. Trudeau and, he, Trudeau and Turing, you really impressed me. Same here. They, they, uh, those four were the ones that impressed me the most. And, uh, I also thought, and I got some, uh, feedback from, from, um, somebody in the Canadians about it too, that, uh, Lowen, if of all of the, um, you know, the invitees to camp. Yeah. He impressed the most. He looked better than Demon. He looked better than, uh, Ortiz who has a two-way contract. Yeah. I think, uh, I can see Lowen getting, getting signed to a, uh, to an AHL two-way contract. Uh, if he, if he keeps it up, I liked him in, in Quebec, in, in, uh, Charlottetown too. Yeah. He was on the same team as Simino and uh, Trudeau there, yeah, and was arguably there. Him and Cormier were the, the top pairing, and Trudeau was on the second pairing. Um, he, I think, he can play and help Trois Rivière for sure, and yeah. is and down the road could play at the AHL level. So one more defenseman I'll bring up, Jaden Struble. I thought Struble was was solid. He um, JF Hull liked him. Yeah. No, uh, that first, uh, the first game, uh, you could see the difference. Like Ortiz was, was in the, in the top four in the first game. And then they brought in Struble and it's like, Oh my goodness. Yeah. He just looked, he was confident right from the first shift and looked like, uh, looked like he's ready to be a, uh, a, a shutdown defenseman at the AHL level already this year. He, I think he's going to come in full of confidence and be a lot, uh, be a lot more uh, aggressive physically than he was last year. That was the one thing that the I think the brass was a little disappointed in. Yeah, in, in his time in Laval, he didn't make mistakes, and that was cool. But he didn't show that physical side that 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 we know he has. And I mean, we saw him at at the development camp. The kid is uh, he's jacked. So he's a strong kid. So uh, I, I, I'm expecting him to have a really solid year in, in Laval this year. He is Grant McCagg, one half of the uh, Sick Recruits draft cast, along with Shane Gomal, uh, who's usually at Master Control uh, every now and then. And uh, so take a look out for that because they have their own YouTube channel. And you can watch them, of course, on YouTube and listen to them on all social media channels. Let's go to the forwards now. Um, Joshua Roy. Seems like it's the same deal every time with with Roy. He's just so smart, and even when he's not, maybe uh, overly impressive from a physical standpoint, because he's not not the fastest skater out there. Mm-hmm. No, not the most physical. He's just so smart. He just makes the right play, like that tip pass, for instance, that he made of uh, you know to spring the breakaway there. Just. He, he makes those little plays, the subtle plays that if you're not really paying attention to him, you may think, oh, he's not really. He gets a stick me. on pucks. You're right. Oh. He's got a good stick. He's got a good stick. And I'm going to yeah. tell you this. I mean, by by no means is this a slight at Farrell because he's still young. But yeah. Roy, Roy so far impresses me more than Farrell. In terms of 
uh, smarts and and yeah. just I think Farrell Farrell has a lot of talent, and sometimes when players have a lot of talent, they look a little bit nonchalant. And I, I don't know if if is desire or passion level is a little bit low or maybe it's he's, he just looks nonchalant because he has a lot of talent but i find Roy to be a lot more engaged than farrell at this stage of their respective careers yeah and farrell's uh the similar in that he's a really smart player too albeit yeah. cerebral um yeah. but i was uh i was a little disappointed in in him at the camp for somebody that had such a dominant college season yeah. last year and was, you know, didn't even get sent down, which I disagreed with, but I guess, you know, that's the contract that they, that they signed. I wish he would have gone to Laval. I really do. I think that would have done him good because he wasn't ready for Montreal and he's certainly not going to crack the Canadians out of the, out of training camp. I, I'd be shocked if that happened. There were a lot of mixed opinions, mixed reviews when the Canadians drafted Philip Mishar as their second pick in round one a couple of years ago, the same draft year that they drafted Slavkovsky at number one. So they went with a couple of Slovaks. Uh, I know a lot of people thought that Owen Beck at 33 was a better pick in the second round than Mishar was in the first round. Mishar is one of those players, Grant, I find that, you know, he won't impress you. He won't impress you. He won't impress you. He won't impress you. And then with one play, he can end up setting up a goal or putting the puck in the net. And then all of a sudden he kind of saves his, his, his game. But um, did he disappoint you? Yeah, overall he did. Um, I, I wish he'd battle a little more. That's something I mean, I, for a player, his size, he's going to have to be competitive to, to, uh, s- especially to play a top six role in the NHL. You're going to have to win puck battles, going to have to compete hard, going to have to just want it more than the other guys because he's going to be smaller than pretty much everybody else in the top six. Um, Yeah, he a little to the outside, I thought, and a little invisible till the end of the, the, I think, the last game where he started to make a few plays and get a little more comfortable. Looked better at center, I think, than he did on the wing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where they where they play him in Laval this year. At this point, I think Mishak, Mishak looked more comfortable than he did last year. I think he's uh, he looks like he, he's ready to play a, you know, maybe third center, fourth center role in Laval. And I would say he's ahead of Meshar at this point as far as winning a center spot w- mm-hmm. with Laval. But it's early, and maybe Meshar, uh, as as training camp goes along, uh, gets better and better. Because certainly last year he had a he had a very good training camp. Um, I was a little disappointed with Beck, to be honest with you. Just um, Beck doesn't have any hands, man. He loses the puck. He just he he tries to handle, and it's it's funny. His coach uh, in junior mentioned it to me, um, Mississauga, that sometimes he he, uh, he he has a tendency to maybe try to make that one too many stick handles instead of yeah yeah give and go, get it to your teammate, uh, use your speed because he's got he's got great wheels, and 
when he's playing the give and go game, he's at his best. And I just find that uh, I, I saw it at development camp. I saw it last year a bit, and I and again I saw it in in the rookie tournament yeah. where he tried to make that one extra move, and he does like 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 you say he doesn't have the softest hands. So I think he's gonna ha- that's something a habit that he's got to break, and um, it. I think another year of junior is is what's going to be, you know, I think he's going to need another year of junior, and that's fine. Um, he didn't – I don't think he really increased his production last year. And what you'd like to see with these guys is to go back to junior and have a breakout offensive year and then turn pro. So, again, maybe he'll have a terrific camp, and uh, I'll change my mind on that. But at this point, I – I'd be surprised if he uh, if he ends up uh, making the Canadians out of out of camp this year. Before we bring up the graphic uh, of uh, pro camp opening up tomorrow, let's end with Xavier uh, Sumino. I I I, I do want to mention one one guy that really Go impressed me, and yeah. and and the brass was uh, Jack I. Florian. He, uh, he was really impressive at the camp. For a fourth round pick that, you know, 18, 19, I'm not exactly sure if he's 19 yet, but he, uh, he impressed the Canadians and he impressed me. Um, better, better skill than I thought. Uh, it's funny how, I don't know what it is with these Jack eyes, but they keep, uh, they're late bloomers. <laughs> they, they come to these camps and they, and they impress, but, uh, yeah. decent speed, uh, some intelligent play, uh, lateral agility is better than I thought, and his hands are better than I thought. So he uh, turned 19 two and a half months ago. Okay, right. Well, I mean, he's still a teenager, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, there were a lot of majority of the players at at the uh, at that camp are are 20 plus. So I thought, considering it was his first pro camp. Very impressive, and I know the Canadians were impressed by him too. And uh, I think that's looking like a dandy fourth round pick at this point because he's tough as nails. Uh, he brings size and toughness, and I think there's a uh, bottom line spot for him down the road for sure. If uh, if that development curve keeps uh, keeps improving as uh, as we've seen, and uh, Simino, you got to love his heart. He um, um, I thought he was most impressive at the start, the first game. Uh, second game, uh, like he, well, it, well, did he only play one game, Tony? Um, I think I'm not he may sure have only he... played once. Um, yeah, and he, um, he, but he was good. I mean, I love the the kids compete. Uh, Heineman came out really strong in the in the uh, first period, uh, and I thought, geez, this kid, he's gonna he's gonna uh, push for a for a spot and then I thought the last five periods he was just okay now he only played a handful of games in a in the AHL and I know a lot of a lot of fans thought well he's going to push for a for a spot but I think I think he needs another year in the AHL as well. yeah to yeah, a guy I, w- I was impressed by his seven goals and um yeah, and what was it uh nine points in 11 games in the American Hockey League last year but yeah no, he's going to have to be redder, uh, better. Okay, we I, I don't have the graphic right now, but I, I will say this. Okay, so 
Uh, Josh Anderson. Uh, here are the players at Pro Camp. Leas Anderson, Yoel Armia, Owen Beck, Gabriel Bork, Cole Caulfield, Lucas Condotta, Kirby Doc, Jared Davidson, um, Isaac DeFore, Christian Dvorak, who's hurt, Jake Evans, Sean Farrell, Brendan Gallagher, Brandon Gignac, Cedric Gaindon, Raphael Arvi Pinard, Emil Heineman, Riley Kidney, Nathan Legare, Philip Mayette, Riley McKay, Philip Michar, Sean Monahan, Jan Mishak, Alex Newhook, uh, Jackoff Novak. That sounds weird. Um, <laughs> Tanner Pearson, Michael Pozzetta, Joshua Roy, Uri Slavkowski, uh, Xavier Simonon, Ty Smolanik, Mitchell Stevens, Nick Suzuki, Alex Olivier Voyer, Florian Jackai, Nolan Yeremko, Yessi Yelonen. Those are the forwards. The defensemen, Justin Barron, Nicolas Baudin, Toby Bisson, Stanislav Demin, Olivier Gallipo, Caden Gouli, Jordan Harris, Brady Keeper, Jonathan Kovacevic, Noah Luan, Gustav Lindstrom, Logan Mayu, Michael Matheson, Matthias Norlander, Christopher Ortiz, John Parker Jones, um, who's like Jack the Giant Killer, uh, David Reinbacker, David Savard, Jaden Struble, and Miguel Tourigny, William Trudeau, Chris Weidman, and Arbor Jackeye. Your goalies, Jake Allen, Jakob Dobesh, Zachary Emon, Strauss Mann, Kante Miller, Samuel Montambo, Caden Primo, Jan Spooner, and Joe Rebetic. And there you have it. Is it is it Reinbacher or Reinbacher? Did you notice? I don't know if you were listening um, to the Well, broadcast. we're all calling it Reinbacher, but I, I think we're wrong. I, I, yeah. I think it's the way you said it, yeah. Yeah, because I did yeah. do uh, Bach on the one of those, like Google and how you yeah. pronounce it. The Germans, it's Bach or Bach or something. So I guess it's probably Reinbacher, but that just sounds kind of funny, eh? Uh, it definitely does, but uh, you know what? It's not going to be uh, fun in games tomorrow. Tomorrow they start competing, and tomorrow it's going to be for keeps. It is pro camp. All right, um, so there you have it. Um, I think we got to everything that we have to get to. A lot of people are asking, where's Adam Engstrom? He, he's back in Rogla there. Uh, him and Kapanen. They're, they're vital parts of their of their um, teams and their their men's teams and they're they didn't come over to camp and that's fine. I think you might see them at the end of the year in Laval. That's my hope. That's what I think is going to happen. Yeah. That's what I think is going to happen. Ryan, Ryan Bacher too. Yeah, this was uh, a lot of fun, and it's 11.10. We went 10 minutes overtime, but I think everyone appreciated it because at one point, I think we were, uh, if we take a look at the YouTube, Twitter, and uh, Facebook, we were over 1,000 people watching at the same time, which is pretty cool considering they haven't even played a preseason game yet. Thanks so much. He is Grant McCagg once again of the Sick Podcast Recruits Draftcast along with Shane Gomal. 
And uh, check out Recruits and Recruits.ca. Now monthly subscriptions in the last couple of months, they switched over to that where you can pick up a subscription for like under $2 per month and your maximum subscription is going to be under $4 per month. Basically, long story short, you can have a yearly subscription of under $50 a year, which will give you access to all the articles, the videos, the, the mock drafts, the scouting reports, all of that stuff throughout the entire year for under 50 bucks, right? I got you it right? Yeah. Fantastic. We'll talk think, to you soon, my man. I think Agnello didn't uh, put up that list because we ran, we ran over, eh? So No, you know why he didn't put up the list? <laughs> because I took pictures of all the graphics and I forgot to send it to him. Okay. I forgot to send it to him. So, so, so here I am. So here I am. Look at this. This is funny. I, I have the pictures of the graphics right here. Here's one page. Here's the second page. Here's the third page. So I get everything ready to send it to him before the show. And then I'm like, we're going to get to the graphic at one point. And he's sending me a note in the chat saying, we don't have any graphic. All right. Okay. <laughs> uh, this one is on me. All right. Uh, so uh, thanks, man. We'll talk thanks, to you soon. Tony. All right. I hope everyone liked it. If you did like it, share it. Uh, message sick, S-I-C-K, S-I-C-K. And leave us a five-star review on Apple if you can. It's our way of feeling the love. For Agnello, Sammy, and Juliana, and Master Control, they are Cavallaro. This is the Sick Podcast with me, Tony Marinaro. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Tony Marinaro on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Vida TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground, your premier gaming destination.